Good evening and welcome to another episode of So Here's the Thing. I am your host, Marquis, and I am super excited. Um, we've been talking for a while before this, but I'm super excited to welcome my next guest, Amy Couch. Thank you, Amy. Um, Amy and I um, have uh, developed a friendship. Amy and I used to work together at uh, the organization that I work at now, Healthcare Organization. And um, she and I are going to be talking about a number of topics over the next hour, two, maybe three. I don't know. Hopefully it won't <laughs> go too long. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Amy, for coming on to the podcast and for helping me to um, follow my dream, which is it's a thing that I've wanted to do for a long time. So tell us a little, little bit about yourself and anything that you want us to know about you, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Okay. So, so happy to be here and help you with this. It's very exciting. Yay! Yay. <laughs> um, so, my, my name is Amy. Um, I work in communications and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 47 years old. Are you 47? I'm 47. You know, I I'm going to be 48 like really soon. In your early 40s. Oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you because it gets harder every year. Yeah. Um, I have two children. Both are on the autism spectrum. Oh, both. Mm-hmm. Okay. My older son has very severe disabilities. My younger son is uh, straight A's in honors classes in high school. Um, he's just quirky. How old are your kids? Um, my oldest, Ian, is just uh, 17, almost 18. And my youngest, Quinn, just turned 16. Oh, so very close in age. 18 months apart. Okay. And are, do you suspect or do you plan to share this podcast with them? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think Quinn would be, Ian probably wouldn't understand it. Right. I, I'm guessing he wouldn't, but Quinn would be super interested. Okay. Yeah, because he thinks you're very cool anyway oh. from seeing you in Hairspray. Oh, that's so great. He's like, is that your friend? I'm like, that's him. Oh, and then he was so like, great. there he is. Every time he would come well, on the stage. I had a number of different parts in that show. Yes. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's great to know that I like that yeah. I have a, a fan. Yeah, so he, I know he will want to hear it. Oh, okay. Well, um, so um, tell us why, or tell me why you have agreed to do the podcast. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I want to support you and your podcast and your dream. And I think that's very important that mm-hmm. as human beings and friends, we support each other because dreams are really important. So that was the first part. Um, the second, I guess, would just be <laughs> my life has been quite a, an adventure. Mm. Um, there are lots of really sort of bad things that have happened. Well, good things um, also, right? Good things too. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I'm still an optimist mm. and there's so many reasons that I probably shouldn't be, but I am. And mm. I think that has really helped me get through so many different things. So whether it's the special needs piece or being queer, um, or being growing up as an evangelical, um, it's been a bumpy road, um, so, but my, I think my optimism has kept me afloat and continues to help me get through the hurdles that are coming up. Um, so you talked about being an optimist and you also talked about being in, in, in or growing up evangelical, right? Mm-hmm. So do you, I'm going to, we'll dive into that a little bit in, sure. in a little bit, but do you feel like you are an optimist just by nature, or do you feel like because you were raised as evangelical, depending on the bent, depending right. on the particular religion, some evangelicals are, um, or some religions are actually more optimistic than others. Right. Some are actually 
fairly fire and brimstone. And right. some are sort of like, oh, well, you know, you, you, you know, God is going to help you and Jesus is going to help you and all those things. So do you feel like that contributed or no, not? we're fire and brimstone. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, I'm an atheist, so I'm going to hell. Um, so that would not give me the optimism <laughs> that I think I have. Um, no, I, I, I think it's kind of a, a nature thing. Um, I've read a lot about it trying to understand that because that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but my knee jerk to a conflict or to an obstacle is, okay, how do I fix this? Do I go over it? Do I go around it? Do I go under it? Um, because the point is to get past it. Right. And once I'm past it, everything will be fine. There has to be a solution to this problem. And I've always been that way. Um, so you talked about <clears throat> growing up evangelical. Tell us, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what your what particular evangelical religion you were raised in, etc. Okay. So I grew up in a very small town in South Arkansas. About five miles, you can hear my accent come out. I was just going to say. Five miles north of Louisiana. (laughs) Um, We had 3,394 people in our town, one stoplight, and about 50 churches. Mm. So one church for every... Pretty much, every person. (laughs) Um, So I uh, started out as a Southern Baptist. Okay. But then my parents left the Southern Baptist church for non-denominational, fundamental, evangelical, more right-wing than Southern Baptist. So, pause for just a second. Um, um, What am I trying to say? Um, Describe the difference between um, Southern Baptist and um, what was the next? Regular or evangelical? Evangelical, right-wing, etc. Because, um, from my point of view, um, the... Uh, so my my Southern Baptist uh, knowledge is a bit possibly maybe a bit different from your okay. Southern Baptist. Like so, my when, uh, so my family is. Uh, what am I trying to say? My family who um were raised Southern Baptist and or are now Southern Baptist live in Georgia. Okay, like deep South yeah, Georgia, yeah. and so that may or may not be a different Southern Baptist. So give us a little bit of background about okay. what you mean by that. Um. So our Southern Baptist, I mean, it was a it was a affiliate of the Southern ba- Southern Baptist Convention. So what was the name of the church, if you care to share it? First, first, uh, first Baptist. Church oh, just First Baptist. Whatever, yes, right? a First Baptist. I know that well. Right. So you know, no swimming together, no dancing together. We couldn't go to prom. Very. Uh, Sounds like dirty dancing. Well, we couldn't do that. No dirty <laughs> dancing. Um, and like we couldn't, girls and boys couldn't swim in the pools together. Wow. Like it, it was really couldn't like do anything together. Um, were there white people? I mean, were there black people? No, I oh. have a story about that though. Okay. Um, very uh, fire and brimstone. We did. They showed a lot of very terrifying films to children about how about Armageddon and the Second Coming. I have lots of stories I could tell you about that. Um, well, you said they showed it. Who showed? The church showed it to us. At church at night. Wow. Okay. To like it, so there was a lot of that. Like it was a fear philosophy. If you don't do things these ways, you're going to go to hell. Mm. Um, you know, hell is the place where you can't. It's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. You're going to be eaten by worms for eternity. You know, burned to death. Like all those terrible things. Yeah. Right? And to seven and eight year old children. And so they would show this like at a church sleepover or what? No, Sunday night. <laughs> one Sunday night a month they would have um, just the fire and brimstone night. <laughs> there, there's one film um 
I think it's called Like a Thief in the Night. I've only met one other person in all my life that has seen this film. Um, and it's about the second coming and Jesus, um, you know, comes back. And, you know, the story is that. Um, is it a cartoon? No. What's the name of and it again? It's in the 70s. I'll find it for you. It's, like a thief in the night. I think that's what it's called. Because, you know, the Bible says he'll come back like a yeah, thief in the yeah, night. Yeah. So you see, you know, it starts with all these little vignettes of people who, you know, the couple who the husband is sort of believing, but the wife isn't. And then a family of very devout people. And then another family with a little girl who's been to vacation Bible school, but the family's not a believer, right? So you kind of meet all these characters. Okay. And then the thief comes in the night. And all of a sudden you see scenes like the little girl had gone to the grocery store with her dolly to get butter. And then the next scene is the butter melting on the sidewalk beside the dolly. And the girl is gone, right? Because the rapture came? Or? Yes. Oh, gosh. But it looks like an abduction. Mm. The wife in bed, oh her husband gets up to get ready for work. She hear, you know, she hears him and she hears his razor going in the bathroom. She gets up and goes in. He's gone, and the razor's just bouncing around on the counter because she's been left behind. And he's, but she doesn't know where he is. Right, right. And then there was a the whole six, six, six. You know, everybody had to be marked the the mark of the beast, and she couldn't get like this particular character couldn't get groceries. She couldn't leave her house. This is she a was movie. like, yes. <laughs> It's a movie, and they're showing it to children. Oh my God. Yeah. I called my parents at intermission and begged <laughs> them to come back and get me, and they wouldn't. They said, no, you have to stay and finish the film. So so that was my Southern Baptist experience. Okay. So that was not my Southern Baptist experience. <laughs> it was <Wow>. Arkansas. <laughs> wow. And, and, and so this is called Like a Thief in the Night. I think so. If, if, and this is a I'll 70s find it movie? For you. Yes. Wow. It was in the 70s. Okay, so hopefully, and maybe we'll edit this part, I don't know. but well, um, fine. Right, but if you find it, I would love mm-hmm. to, maybe, I mean, these days it could be on YouTube. We I, don't I even think know. it might be. So maybe I'll, I'll include it. a link in my in the okay. in the podcast. But anyway, anyway. Um, so, so my parents left that for a sort of, um, the an evangelical church that was not ruled by a convention, right? Or, How old were you when they left? I think I was in middle school. Okay. And you didn't, I mean, you don't have any sense of why they left. You just. No, went. I don't really. But they have become increasingly conservative and, and fanatical okay. over their lives. Okay. Um, actually, they were kind of okay when we were at the Southern Baptist Church. Um, I mean, that's. Yeah, relative, qualified, right? right? It's all relative, right? Um, but comparatively, fairly normal. Right. Like decent, not not quite so conservative in the Southern Baptist Church. But they moved to the non-denominational evangelical. I can't remember what it was called. But one of the, I guess, problems slash benefits of those kinds of churches is they're not ruled by a governing convention or body. Right? So there's no governing body. So contrary to them, my last one. Right. So right. they're all by themselves. Mm. Right. This is so there's not a Southern Baptist convention that's telling them, you know, that's creating their lessons for Sunday school or giving them suggestions or or making decisions about ethics and morality and how things should be discussed and political views. And so this is just a, a completely independent little church run by some, knows, you know, right. white conservative dude with a, I'm sure a personal agenda of his own. Um, in my personal opinion. Um, and you're white. I am white. Okay. 
Just for our listeners, I mean, in case you didn't know, <laughs> Amy's white. I am yes. white. I am white. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't have problems with with white men. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I mean, I you do. know, yeah. But okay. um, but anyway, so um, they went there, um, and then it just sort of went downhill from there, in terms of their. Well, I guess it depends on your opinion, but to me, it was downhill because they became more conservative, more fanatical. Um, now, how, did that, how did that manifest itself to you as a middle school or end or high school child? Well, so one of the things that is, I think, hard for some people to understand who didn't grow up in a, a very sort of dictatorial faith is that... I hope you don't mind I'm eating. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Is that um, I... So I am, like I said, 47, 48. So I grew up in a time when there was no internet and there's no way to fact check people, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever you were told by your parents you believed as true. So my parents raised us to believe that the Bible was factual. Wow. Everything in the Bible really happened. Wow. The way it happened. Jonah was really swallowed by that fish and lived in that fish for three days and was spit out. Like that really happened. Noah's Ark really happened. Adam and Eve. Really happened. Jezebel. Which pillar one of, of salt. Which one? Yeah, oh, yes. No, I grew up with that. Like, you know, Sarah turned into salt. Like, it was a terrible thing. Um... And you believe all of these things are true. And so as a child who, like, I'm a, I have a philosophy master's. So, you know, when I would ask questions like, well, if Adam and Eve are the only people and they had children, they only had two sons. How did their sons have children? Right. And the, the answer was always God works in mysterious ways. Mm. And when you get to heaven, you can ask him that question. That was always the thing, you know, or mom, I mean, the ark, like, what about the animals in Antarctica? What right. about amoebas? Mm. Did Noah get the amoebas? Mm. Like, how did that happen? Right. And again, all the mitochondria, all the like the, the bacteria, all that. You know, <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. When you get to heaven, you can ask him. So was it's always interesting when I hear people uh, sort of um, tell me about that that idea is because I feel like I would be afraid to ask God. Like, like if, if I were in front of God, I wouldn't be like, yo, God, like, right. well, the other <laughs> like piece, what happened? The other piece is that you're also taught that you have a personal relationship with God, mm-hmm. right? So now I, the other question I often asked was like, well, what about people in the Congo? Mm. Mm. Right. Uh, the question of evil always came up for me. So women who are castrated in the Congo, God didn't have a personal relationship with them. Right? But you didn't know that or, as a as a child. No, but I did know child molestation. Mm. I did know that there were certain things happening in the world that didn't make sense. Mm. And how, why wasn't God paying attention to those things? Mm. Um, that got me in trouble. I'm sure. A few times. Um, but, you know, as a, a kid who thought a lot I asked those questions, but again, I was taught that once I got to heaven, God would happily answer every question that I had. He would be totally open and allow me to become <coughs> one with his, you know, omniscience. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yeah. I would understand everything. It would make total sense. Right. So that was their way of saying, shut up, because we can't answer that question for you. Mm. But then it was, you know, as a little kid, you're like, oh, okay, I'll ask God. You know, and, but then at some point you get to the point where you're like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Right. right? So There's now, no way that that could happen exactly how it's written in this Bible. Clearly. So, so now you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. And 
um, you are hormonal. You're becoming aware of your full self, right? Not just as a child, but as a as an adult, right? And you start to and not just your 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 self as a as a child of your parent, but also as a citizen of the world, as a right. sexual being. All of those things, right? And so, talk to, to tell us tell us about what how that how that jived with their right. now new right wing church. Right. Well, so so I will preface it by saying that my mom did this with my sister, who's younger than me, and myself. Every night, she would part of our prayers would be praying for our husbands to be mm. who were growing up somewhere else, but God had put that one special person, that one special man on the planet to be our husband, to take care of us and all those things, because we were not to be the head of the household. And it's just the one. There's just, no Oh, no, there's divorce. only one. <laughs> there's only one. Wow. Okay. And so we would pray for him every night, right? Mm. Okay, so I'm queer. So that was problematic. Um, but at the time, I was little, and I didn't really know what queer was, and it was the 70s and 80s, so I didn't really have a word for those things yet. My first girlfriend was in the third grade. I thought she was beautiful, and my mom was making out before dinner in my room. We did, great. we didn't really know what we were doing, but we were just kissing because we had seen kissing in movies. You slut. <laughs> and we heard my mom, thank God we lived upstairs. We had a two-story house because we could hear her, and it was old. So we could hear her coming up the steps, oh. and then we, like, jumped apart. And so, literally, third grade, um, and my mom, like, looks at us, and we're both... <sighs> Yeah. And all red, because we don't really know what we're doing, right. right? We're not even really in puberty at this point. Right. But we just know that we like each other, and that's what you do in movies when you like each other. So right. it was a totally innocent sort of thing. Right, right, right. But that was the first clue that maybe I liked girls. Okay. Um, so, so as I got older, um, I was definitely different because I was asking too many questions. I was too smart. I was not really into guys. And, um, but there was no word for it. Like we had one, well, I think my PE teacher was definitely a lesbian and her best friend who was the music teacher was definitely gay. And we all thought they were going to get married. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Like we had no idea. Yeah, no sense of it. Yeah. And there was one male gay couple that lived in my town and we were all told to not walk through their yard because we might get AIDS. What? You might get from walking through their front yard. AIDS. Yes. Mm. So that's what I. What so, year was this? Eighties, uh, I assume. Early eighties. Mm-hmm. So, so even though I knew that I had feelings for girls, like, like I can remember this is probably TMI, but we're gonna edit. So, I remember when my girlfriend started getting pubic hair, mm. and we would have a sleepover, and people would be running around in their underwear, and you could see. The imprint, right? She had the a little panties. bit of a bush, right? And, well, yeah, in the eighties, nobody yeah. shaved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember being like, "What? What? Like, so interested." <laughs> I mean, it was just like, but there was no word for that. Right. That was just—I don't know what that was. I was weirdo, I guess. So let me ask you this, and I don't want to interrupt you, and remind me not to interrupt you in it's general okay. throughout this podcast. Um, you talked about a little bit about being too smart. Right. Right. And uh, some of the people that I've talked to who who have grown up in um, any number of religions. Right. Right. 
And let's, let me let me be clear. I did grow up. I didn't grow up particularly in a religion, but I we I I mean I my family was some of my family was Southern Baptist. Some of them I have an aunt Kathy who was Jehovah's Witness. I mean right. you know I have some sense of it. But when you talk about being too smart, um, don't talk to me about that a little bit more. Like is 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 intelligence sort of frowned upon or or I, in my head, I imagine um, I imagine that people who are smart are um, and or intellectual in a certain way are possibly guided towards um, uh, what do you call this um, divinity studies mm-hmm. that type of thing. So right. tell me a little bit about how so, that manifests. Itself. So I think you can be smart in the way like if you follow the Bible. But part of the problem, so I actually had um, really um, fantastic experiences with um, with Christian philosophers in my undergrad. They were Catholic, and the Catholic Church has a long, I mean, they have a lot of issues, I understand, but they have a long history of um, deep philosophical, um, theological thought. And they don't frown on people who ask questions. They're actually really interested because it creates a dialogue and they can really dig into that. And, and maybe they'll convince you one way, maybe they won't, maybe you'll change their mind, but it's this whole really exciting experience. Evangelicals do not do that. Mm. So it is not okay to question. The Catholic church feels like that the whole point of having faith is to question it because the only way you make it stronger is to question it and then come to the conclusion that yes, your faith is the right answer. Right. So let me just let me just pause you for just one more second, and I hate to interrupt, but I I, I think okay. that it's an important distinction uh, for any for however many people who may or may not listen to this now and in the future that there are different types of evangelicals. Yes. Right. So there. And are, I only know my type, so I apologize for that. So that I just want to make like make that clearer distinction that. Southern Baptist evangelicals, or whatever the non-denomination, right? Arkansan evangelicals are the ones that you're referencing because I'm referencing the religious right. Okay, all right, cool. Just so that we're clear about, like, not liberal ones, not. um, And I I, and I have had to learn, and I'm still learning throughout my life that they're like I had a huge problem with Christianity for a long time because of my upbringing. I assumed anybody who actually believed in Jesus was a horrible human being. Mm. So it <clears throat> took me a while to <clears throat> took me a while to be able to recognize that you could believe in Jesus and still be a good person. Mm-hmm. So that was hard for me. So the evangelicals that I grew up would definitely be your religious right. It would Got be uh, Pat Robinson, Jerry Falwell, <laughs> that that part of the Christian. Right. Spectrum. Okay. Thank you for clar- clarifying yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. so, um, so you're, so, so they don't want you to question. They just want you, they talk a lot about being a sheep mm. actually. Right. So Jesus is a shepherd and we're all sheep. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. From the, uh, from an, from the outside world, if you call somebody a sheep, it's like the worst, <laughs> it's like the worst thing in the world. Like right. don't call but me you, a sheep. But you should want to be a sheep and wow. follow your shepherd. Like mm. that was the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would have been a great Catholic. I think I might've been a great Jewish person. I think there are a lot of faiths if I had grown up in, I probably would have embraced. Mm. Um, because again, I love philosophy and I love thinking about big questions like, does God exist? And 
how should we be moral and where do ethics come from and what makes a human being a human being. Those are all my, that's my jam. So I think I would have had a much better go in a different faith. Um, but when you're told not to ask questions or when your faith begins to hate other people or draw these really aggressive lines against other people, I mean, that doesn't go anywhere. Not for me anyway. So it was a problem. So two things very quickly, and then we'll, we'll keep moving forward. Um, as a teenager slash adult, there's a difference between, uh, or, or a young adult, there's a difference between being told to do something or believe something and being raised all this time to believe right. that this is the right way. So walk us through that. And then at what point did your um, identity as a queer person right. rear its ugly head and how did that like manifest oh, itself to, to like the next right. like evolution of you as an adult? So that's a great story that um, I will be excited to tell you. But um, so I, I think I'm good. So I, um, I believed everything I was taught for a long time, even though I had a lot of questions as a kid Ultimately, I really believed what my parents told me, and I felt I saw them as as knowledgeable, as subject experts, I guess. So even though it didn't really make sense to me in the beginning, it was like, okay, well, fine, I'll go talk to God when I die, and I'll find the answer. Um, but after a while, I'm not gonna go talk to God. I'll just go talk to. <laughs> once him. I die, I'll know everything. Um, but I, but I also had a lot of issues because I. Um, so I was a straight A student. I was musically talented. I was involved in my community, but my mom was very critical of me and I was never good enough or pretty enough or thin enough or popular enough or whatever. And so no matter what I did, it was a problem. For anybody who's listening, she's gorgeous. Okay, go ahead, keep going. <laughs> so, um, so, so that was a part of, like, I didn't fit with my family because I was always trying to impress my mom or to make her proud and it wasn't happening. But secondly, I, I was also, didn't really have a word for it, but I was queer and I was not a Christian and I definitely wasn't part of the racist, um, weird community that is down there, for the white people anyway. How did you determine you weren't racist if they weren't black people? There were, no, my te- my school was sixty percent African American. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So I my, didn't get that my part. yes, and my parents um, were very my very first friend ever in my life outside of my family. Her name was Janice Haynes. She was African American. She was it was kindergarten and she was crying because it was scary because it was our first day, right? And so I my mom walked me into the classroom and I remember she was sitting at one of the little picnic tables. <laughs> And I went over and I put my arms around her. I'm like, it's okay. Mm. Like, we'll be here together. It's okay. And I got in trouble for that when I got home. Mm. How did how did they know? My mom was there dropping me off. She mm. saw me go and so hug a black girl. And oh. that's not okay. Mm. And I was like, but I don't understand. Right. Right? And again, to the church, when you were asking me, we're sort of going around, but when you were asking me about if there are any black people in my church. So, <laughs> you've seen the help. I have seen the help. That yes. was my family. The movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had, I had, we had a mammy. Wow, you had a mammy. Mm-hmm. Oh her my name gosh. was her name was Easter May Thompson. Easter May. 
And that she's not alive right anymore, but her name was Easter. And she used to tell me, and I don't think it was true, but she always told me that, well, her name was Easter May because she was born on Easter in the month of May. Mm. But I don't think that there's ever been an Easter in May, so <laughs> I think she was lying to me. But she, she truly raised my sister, but she didn't come into my life until I was a little older. Um, I loved her. Like, she protected me from my mother. She lied to my mother. She, like, would do my laundry and not tell my mom because I was being punished or whatever. She was, like, we adored her. And I was singing my first solo in church. And I wanted Easter May to come because she had been helping me practice. And I asked her to come. And she was, like, she got a look on her face. And she was, like, well, sweetie, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to come. I have to go to my own church. And I was like, but you have to come. Like, you have to see me sing. I'm going to be singing for the whole church. And it was this big thing. So I went to my parents. And I said, I want Easter May to come to church with us on Sunday. And they both got this look. And they were like, well, sweetheart, she goes to her own church. She has her own church. Just go to that church. Like, I know she has her own church. But this is special. And she can come with us on this Sunday because to our church and they didn't tell me she wouldn't come. And she would never tell me, but she didn't come. Like, Mom and Dad just said, well, she has her own church. I don't know that she'll come. And what year is this? Let me just... This sounds like some, something well, out I was of the 1950s. Seven, no, I, no. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. I, Southern Arkansas is still way behind. Right, right. So I was born in 72, so this was probably 85. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And I, I'm sure that must have hurt you. It was terrible. I was, I was, I mean, I remember standing on the, at the front of the church. So we had, you know, like Southern Baptist Church are often similar in that they have like the altar at the front with the steps that go up and then this sort of big platform where, you know, the choir will be and whatever. So I had to walk up there to stand to sing the solo for church. And I remember looking out, looking for her. Mm. Like I just knew she would come, right? Because she was, you know, she was Eastern, right? She's going to come. She'd be there for me. Yeah. And she wouldn't come, and she wouldn't really talk about it afterwards. So I think she felt, obviously, really awkward. How old were you? I was probably 12. And she told me, like, I remember walking down the sidewalk with her and her talking to me about how when she grew up, she, couldn't, she wouldn't have been able to walk on the same sidewalk with me. She talked to me about the white-only water fountains. She, so she, without, like, I just thought, I mean, in my mind, it was like, but, but, how can I not walk with you? Right. So it was never like a, poli- it never came across in the, like she was like trying to like weasel. <laughs> no, she, we were just talking. She yeah. was teaching me yeah. things that my parents would never have taught me. Um, so yeah, so there was super racist. My brother, Oh, there's a whole nother story I can't tell you about, but, um, my, all my brother's friends and romantic interests. Oh, I got it. Were, um, African American and that did not go over well. Mm. So, and that was not me. So I knew very early, um, that I didn't fit in a lot of ways. Um, and a friend of mine, um, who I'm actually still sort of in contact with, was an exchange student to France. Now, our town was 3,000 people, one high school. 50 for, churches in every year. Right, right, right. And the school, like, supported all the little <coughs> towns around, right? So we nobody went anywhere. But Tommy went to France for a year. And there was an internet back then, so we wrote letters. And because he was like the only person to ever left. So he came back and we talked constantly. And I was 14 at the time. And I was like, aha, this is how I get out. Mm. 
Mm. Right? So I went to my parents and I said, at 14, and I said, I want to be an exchange student. Well, my mother was like, no, absolutely not. Was your mother worse than your father? Yes. We'll come back to that. Go ahead, go ahead, go. I mean. Keep going, keep going. So, but, so mom was like, absolutely not, no. And dad was like, um, which is sort of a quintessential dad move for him. He was like, well, I'm not going to say no, but it's expensive. Now, let me qualify that by saying we were a very well-off family. When oh, I was were you? Oh. He's like, but it's expensive. So if you can raise the money to go, well, <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about it. We have the money. You right. have to raise the money. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I mean, give me a window, man. I'm right yeah. through it. Yeah. So I went and got a job. Mm. And I got a job at the little local drugstore, which was more like, you know, the soda fountain and that whole piece. Soda drug, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I worked every after school, every day and all weekend and saved every penny. And I came back at 15 in a year. And I was like, okay, so I have all the money. Can I go? And my mother lost it. And she actually still blames that year for all of my waywardness and problems like her idea of my problem. So being gay. That you wanted to go to France. No, that I went to, well, that I wanted to be an exchange student and ultimately that I went to Australia. She, but she blames that year abroad for all of how my whole life. So how did, so you did go? Yeah. So mom said no, but dad had made a promise and Mm. that's, I have to say for my father, if he says he's going to do something, he follows through. So he said, well, okay, you can go. My mother, I probably didn't speak to him for months. And she said, well, you can't go anywhere that doesn't speak English, right? That's the whole point of going abroad. <laughs> and you can't go anywhere where, where you're the only white person. Okay. Well. <laughs> so I literally went and looked at a map to see how, where. Because the, there's no internet. So. Where the farthest place I could go that mm-hmm. spoke English, mm. which was Australia. Mm. And that's where I went. I mean, so when you say they spoke English, right? I mean, they speak in English in France, or they speak English... Australia's farther mean, away. What, well, they're farthest, right? I guess so. And I wanted to go as far away as possible. I mean, that was literally the goal at that point, because I was so angry, because I really wanted to go to Germany or Austria or the Netherlands. Like, that's kind of what I was thinking, just for the language piece. I was really interested in Europe as a whole. Um, but when she was like, it has this, you know... You can't go anywhere that doesn't speak English. I was like, well, let's see. How far away can I get from you? So when you say you were angry, were you angry because your mother was not a great human being? Or were you just angry because you were a teenager and angsty and just angry in general? I was angry at her for a lot of reasons. I mean, I would think I was angry because she was not a good person. Mm. I think I was angry because this was a dream that I had that she was was not only not supportive of, but was putting all of these rules into place that were not allowing me to do what I what it's built to do. Um, and because dad had said yes, and she was screwing it up. So, um, circling back, right. your queerness reared oh, its ugly head. In yes. Australia. So, and actually, I'm still in touch with this, with this woman, and we're both queer, which is, we didn't actually know at the time. So well, far, was, there's no, no internet. there's still no internet. So this is 1989. So, it would take two to three weeks for a letter to get back and forth from my parents. And to call was 3 to $5 per minute. Mm, I'm, no surprised, I'm actually surprised that your parents allowed you to, like, send letters. Well, I could send letters back and forth to them. And they would call. But we had to be very, I mean, I only got to talk to them 
I don't know, once a month or whatever. Right. And it got to the point where I didn't want to talk to them because I was having a good time. Right. Um, but that's that. That's really where... So that's where it started. And then my first serious full-on girlfriend was in my freshman year of college. So you were... How old? 19. 18. When so, we first met. 19 when I came out to my parents. Well, that's, so that so now here we are. So right. now you have had this experience. Fast forward a few years and you have fully identified yourself as queer. And now it's time and you have a girlfriend. Well, not, well, not so fully. Then, yeah, yeah, let me qualify ahead. that. So you're still in Arkansas. I went to the University of Arkansas for my first two years of college. Okay. Um, I still didn't... Like, I was starting to hear gay and lesbian, you know, those terms. But I still didn't... It was still kind of new and foreign and whatever. Um, and it was... It wasn't really until into my relationship with Teresa, my first girlfriend, that um, I was like, huh, I guess I'm a lesbian. Right? Like, like it that's, it that's took the a name minute. of it. Like that's it the name of the thing. Right. Because right. like, at first I was like, oh, she's gorgeous, right. you know? And she's smart and I, you know, and all these things. And then, but it wasn't until like we were completely, like we were in a relationship. We were sexually active. We had been going on. It was not like the first day or the first kiss. It took a while for me had to be like. Had you had a fight with her already? No. Never had a fight? No. I mean. I, no, actually. I don't think we ever really did. We were together for seven plus years. Not oh, until wow. the end did we have fights. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time to not have a fight. Yeah. Well, you know, lesbians. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know lesbians, actually, but... <laughs> well, you know what lesbian brings on the second date, right? Mm, yes. Um, a U-Haul. <laughs> yes, a whole U-Haul. So, anyway, anyway. So, anyway, so I met Teresa at the university. She was a friend of a friend, and um, we fell fast in love, and I was super happy, so I felt like everyone would be happy for me because I was finally, like, really happy, like, really myself, totally embracing everything, right? And you were away for college. Yeah, well, same I mean, state, but away. Right, but away, I mean, not living with your parents. Right. Okay, that makes a difference. Right. But it kind of, like that moment, and I don't know, maybe it's partly because of how I grew up, but that moment when you realize who you are for the first time, it kind of uproots everything, right? So I had a full, I had a full ride to the university. Mm. Full ride. Everything. This is, this is scholarships. Mm -hmm. So just a second. Let me just, I'm just... I don't want to get off track, but your family had money. You were well off. I was that smart. And you got a full ride. Mm -hmm. Like, what kind of a... Let me, let me just be quiet. But I was not good enough, Marky. <laughs> wow. Never. By your mom. Right. So, yeah. anyway. Anyway, let's anyway, move forward. So, yeah. I had a full ride, but I was, you know, my whole life has just sort of changed, and I was, I just was sort of upended. So, I decided I was going to quit. Quit school. Quit school. Now, all the student debt I have now would not exist if I had stayed. But for whatever reason, whether it was the right thing or not, I decided I was going to go move in with my new girlfriend, Teresa, who lived in Oklahoma. She was not a student, so she I met her through a friend. Was she older? A little. Okay. Like, she had just graduated, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to tell my parents why, and I also wanted them to be happy for me. And, you know, I, I was just super naive and, like, you Didn't know. Didn't you know who your parents were by that point? I thought they loved me, and ultimately they'd figure it out. They did love you. No. Th your parents didn't love you. Conditionally. Okay. They loved conditionally, which go. I did not know. Okay. At the time. That's fair. 
That's the, I just want to make sure that, you, like we say out loud, at least that your parents loved you. They, they loved you conditionally, they, they, but they, they loved they you. They love me. Yeah. Um, but they do not love any of us. I have a brother and a sister. They don't love any of us unconditionally. Got it. Okay. There are conditions. Moving forward. So you wanted so, your parents to know you want them to be happy for you. And I just, you know, I was a very honest kid and I felt like I needed to, you know, I knew finally and everything made sense and I had to like, you know, let them know. So I went home and for the weekend and, um, started the conversation and they had, I think they were already suspecting because one of the things with, um, especially at that time period, you, it was hard to know how to identify yourself, right? Sure. So lesbians did not look like me. Right. Right. So I'm very feminine. Describe yourself. I have long blonde hair. I wear makeup every day. I like five inch heels. Like that's me. Cool. I had cut all my hair off and I was not wearing makeup. Mm. And I had um, my steel toed combat boots. Wow. And like I was doing the whole flannel thing and like, you know, so they had seen this transition, right? Um, but in my mind, it was like, well, if I'm a lesbian, then I have to look like a lesbian. Like, this is my community. I have to be seen by my community. This is what we do. Like there were any femme lesbians anywhere. There wasn't an internet to find them in California. Like there was no way to do that. So I was just being. Right. Being, trying to fit in with everybody else. Right. So that, you know, that's who I am. So now I'm going to play this part. Um, so I think that they suspected Something was going on. Um, I don't think they suspected that. But um, it was a weekend-long conversation. Um, I went home and told them, and, like, I think they were in shock at first. And then um, we talked for a long time the first night. They made my sister leave the room, who was younger than me. Wow. Just leave the room. <laughs> well, no, you, you need to go to your room. Mm. Um, and then the first evening, so that Friday night, um, while I was asleep, my dad came in and took the keys to the car that I was driving out of my purse so that I couldn't leave. Were you awake or asleep? No, I was asleep. You were asleep. So I didn't know. And this was before, this was at the time when there were bag phones in cars, but there weren't like real cell phones mm. and everybody had a landline. Mm. So there was, so I was, I was kind of trapped. Um, and I, because I did try to leave at one point and went to get the keys out of my purse and they were gone. Why did you try to leave? Because it was very confrontational, and they were... Um, so the com- Let's just rewind just a second. So the conversation started. You said, clearly you didn't say, hey, Mom, Dad, I'm a lesbian. Like, it wasn't no, like that I kind said, of... <laughs> no, I mean, I did it much more like I, I have fallen in love with someone, and I'm really excited, and her name is Teresa, and then the shit hit the fan. Like, mm. that's not okay. And so, you know, they went through the whole thing that... That um, it's an abomination that God created man and woman for a reason. Adam and Eve, not not whatever the Eva and Eve, whatever yeah, Lilith, right? Lilith. <laughs> yes. Um, and that you know, it, a lot of the same philosophy um, and psychology that they use in conversion therapy, actually, that you may think that you love her, but you don't really. That it's just the devil telling you, you know, tricking you into doing this abomination that is ultimately going to put your soul in hell because that's what he wants, right? So you're damning yourself and you're not in control of yourself and you maybe you're possessed by a demon. We don't know. And 
like this whole, you know, did somebody hurt you sexually? Is that what's happening? Mm. You know, tell us the details, like all kinds of stuff. Um, And, you know, at first, I mean, I'm So that's what they say. That's your parents saying that to you. Yeah. Mm. My dad, has somebody like raped you? Oh, God. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was like, are you a sick fucker? Like, I mean, so, you know, I, I am very independent and I'm very, I have always been a fighter versus a flighter. Mm -hmm. Right. So at first I started to argue back and I started to try to, you know, try to explain and try to use the right, right. But it wasn't going anywhere. So eventually you just shut down. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so finally, one of the last sort of, um, demands was if you love us, you won't do this. Wow. And it's like, but this is, that's not fair. This is my life. If you love us, you won't be who you are. Right. If you love us. And so they're putting, making my love conditional, right? So mm. you don't love us if you're going to be gay. And it was like, I can't live my life for you. And I love you. Right. What do I do? And they said, if you do this, you're not our child anymore. So I, you know, it was tough, but I, I, you know, I remember like sneaking to the phone at like three in the morning when everyone was asleep to call my girlfriend and just to let her know that I was okay. Um, so here, so you talked to your girlfriend, you let her know she was out and that you were okay, mm-hmm. that you had come out to your parents. Mm-hmm. And at some point you agree i assume to go through what winds up being conversion therapy well no i didn't agree to that and not later. that you agreed to it but, but i mean that's what they were doing right. right like for that whole weekend it was a constant it was and that was a lot of what my church experience had been it's kind of a brainwashing sort of situation where they kind of like gaslighting Mm. They just keep telling you that's not right. No, 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 that didn't happen. And so this was just with your parents, or were well, it, it, like it was sort of how my religious education had been set up, right? Okay. So that, so I was used to that, and then they just continued that whole process. But a lot of that weekend, um, it was the same sort of stuff that. Um, so this was the whole weekend. Yeah, so it was three days. So finally, I just said I need to go back to school. I want to go home, and so my dad drove me. But you were already home. Well, I wanted home. to go. Right. Right. So my dad drove me, which was, it was a four hour drive from my parents' house to the university. We did not speak the entire way. Mm. And he dropped me off without a car, without anything. And without a word, like just got and just stopped the car. So I got out and that was it. Got your stuff. And that was it. That was it. So I continued to try to create a relationship with them. I continued to reach out by phone or by Over letter. Over the next however long. Seven plus years. Years. So now you're, you're through college. Presumably you are uh, still with Teresa up until a yeah. point, And then no, you're the not time. with Teresa anymore. No, so the whole time I was okay. with Teresa. And a few times they reached out. One time in particular... Um, cause I would continue to reach out calls and letters. The letters would be returned unopened. Um, and my dad always answered the phone and he would just say no and hang up. Just no. No. And hang up. Wow. So wow. it was very upsetting and obviously hard on my relationship with Teresa, right? Because I'm dealing with all of these things on top of that. 
So, but then they reached out. Are you emotional about it today? No, like, not anymore. You just, you, I mean, this was 20 was some 20, odd years ago. Yeah, it was ni- early 90s. So, yeah, you are far, far enough removed from well, it. I've had a lot of therapy. Oh, well, there's that. Hey, therapy. <laughs> I love therapy. But, um, no, so at one point they reached out and said that they had found a family counselor in Tulsa, which was where I was living at the time, or close to Oklahoma, and would I go with them? Oh, I was like, absolutely. Like, I've been reaching out all this time. You're throwing out an olive branch. I'm definitely taking it. And you're my parents who raised me, and I want to be Because it's a weird thing. Like, no matter what they do, and I know you hear this across abuse stories and different things. Like, you know, you you can read all sorts of studies. doesn't matter. They're your parents. That's your parents, right. Like, they're the ones. Like, you just, it's a weird thing. And so... They reached out and said, you know, will you do this? I said, of course. And then I said, where is it? And they said, Rima Bible College. Or Rima, Rima Bible Church. Rima Bible Church. Rima. You can look it up. R-E-M-A. Okay. Um, I did look them up not too long ago to see if they were still doing this, and I didn't see anything on the website. Um, so I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Like, at this point, I just wanted to have a productive conversation with them. But you didn't have any sense of what you were about to walk into. I thought it was family counseling. Mm. Right? So I, I, church. You know, we're talking in the 90s, so I yeah. didn't figure it'd be super, um, you know, LBGTQ supportive. Right. But I, it's still family counseling. It's right. a therapist. And it's probably so. the place that your parents knew. Right. Because they're Bible-y. Right. Right? So, <laughs> Bible-y. Right. So, so why not? Well, right? Sure, Let's why not? Yeah. So I went, and, you know, again, their cell phones were not really the thing, but bag phones were. We had a bag phone. Bag um, phone. Do you remember? You don't know what those are? No. So it was in a bag, like a like a leather bag, and you plugged it into the to the cigarette lighter. Oh, yeah. And it had the curly. Yes, So maybe yeah. it was an Arkansas thing. Okay. Yeah. Bag phones, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. it was like the curly yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it got terrible reception. Oh, yeah. All that. But we had one of those. Bag so phone. a bag phone. <laughs> I don't know what we <laughs> like called it, but it wasn't a, <laughs> a so, bag phone. <laughs> um, so she drove me to the church, and she went to like a local restaurant, coffee shop, or whatever, just to wait for me. And I thought, told her I'd call her when I was done. And I was thinking an hour, right? Who's her? Teresa, my okay. mom. Yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, she, all my friends were like, why, why are you still doing this? Right? Why are you still trying they're, they suck. They're terrible. They're mean to you. Why are you doing And I was like, well, it's my parents. Like, I got to try. So she wasn't happy about it, but she was supporting me in my choice. So I went, and um, it was super awkward with my parents because we hadn't seen each other in years. Right? What an odd thing. Super awkward. To be back with your parents who you haven't seen in years. Right. I see my mom... Not oft, as often as I should, but certainly not years. I mean, <laughs> right. and, you know. And what do you say? We don't hug because they have disowned me. It's super awkward. Yeah. So we go into the therapist's office, which actually was a pastor. Um, and he starts asking me questions about Teresa. Mm. Who is she? Tell us about her. Why are you in love with her? What do you love about her? Like, and, you know, I'm, I'm going like, okay, let's do this. I'm going to, I'm, I'm. I'm 100%. I'm in. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, right. And I felt like he, and he didn't say it or couch it in a way that made me feel he was um, unauthentic. Like, I felt like he was really asking. Right. So I was like, okay, finally someone's asking. Because she's an awesome human. Like, she does cool stuff. She has a great job. She's a really kind human being. She 
you know, all these things. And so he's asking me the questions. And so I answered and he was nodding and giving me positive, you know, body language and feedback. And of course my parents are very uncomfortable and twitching in their chairs. And, um, <laughs> and so once he gets me to a place where I, where I think he think, thinks that he's built some sort of confidence with me. So and your role is down up medium. My what? Your walls. Um, they're between medium and up. Okay. okay. But they're starting to come down. Yeah. Because I'm starting to think, okay, so he's yeah. asking me these. Sure. These are good questions. Mm -hmm. Then he begins the whole, so she sounds lovely. She sounds like a great person. I'm sure that she is. Um, but you're not really in love with her because you can't be. Because love is only between a man and a woman. And so it's impossible. So you think you feel these things, but you really don't. Mm. That whole gaslighting thing, mm. right? You think this, but, and you know, so then I just shut down. Like, so, so, you, so you shut down. Yeah. Because there are people who actually fall for it. Who, no. Who, there, there, are, there are people who say, well, maybe I right. don't, like my feelings are not my feelings. Maybe, you know, because of my upbringing, because of my past, you know, I'm thinking and I'm feeling and I don't right. know what, you know. Well, no, I, I, made the, I made a bad decision later, but at this point, I didn't. And mm. so I just, because, it, I, you know, we were still right. yeah. in love, whatever. Right. And so you I, went too, too fast, too quick, Pastor. Right. Like, so you, I just, yeah, so I just shut down. You thought you had me. <laughs> yeah, so I just shut down. And this went on all day. Mm. All so, day? Oh, my gosh. So finally, and no breaks, no lunch breaks, no nothing. Mm. So finally. They got gotcha. you. I was like, okay. And then he started talking about this program that they had, mm. right? Which basically would be conversion camp. Right. We have this program that can really help you. You know, mom and dad are totally buying into it. And they're talking about all, you know, how they feel and how they think that he's really, you know, making great points about all these things. And then he says, well, we have this program. Is there a cost to it? I don't even know. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, I'm like, fuck, I got to go. <laughs> like that's really what I thought it was like fuck I gotta get out of here like this is scary so I said you know um, is there a restroom Like, we haven't had a break in like five hours or whatever and can I go to the bathroom sure just you know and he told me how so I just started going down the hall until I found a pay phone because mm. at that time right. there's no cell phones there's right. a pay phone so I found a pay phone called Teresa I said you should come get me right now and she was like, what is going on? Right? She's freaking out just because she hasn't just, heard from me. Right, and I'm me. like, just come get me. And so I never went back in the room. I did not say goodbye. I just never went back. And I met her outside. And she took me back home. And we didn't talk for another several years. Your parents. Mm -hmm. And so from Teresa's point of, point of view, I'm sure you talked about it. You know, there's a, I've never been through this. In my head, I imagine that as your partner, as your girlfriend, as your whatever right. it is, I want to be as supportive of you as I can be. And part of my support of you is, listen, like, make up with your parents. Like, it'll be a, like... Oh, no, she hated them. She, I mean, clearly she must have hated them because of how awful they were. I mean, and that's the thing. So my very best friend, who I'm still friends with now, my very best friend at the time, also gay, um... We were a big house of lesbians. There were a whole bunch of us left at that point. Um, but I came back, and they all rallied around me, and I truly wept. Like, it was mm -hmm. um, heartbreaking because it was like, 
I had this great hope before I went, and then it was so obvious that it was never going to be fixable. It was so not fixable. And so it was this hugely heavy afternoon. Um, but And so they all supported me, and they were kind to me, but they all hated them, and they had they did not spare any words of, this has to stop. You can't keep doing this. Mm. You know, this is not good for you. All they're doing is hurting you. There's, you just got to let it go. So we're going to wrap up part one of this and then we're <laughs> going to move on to part two because okay. we have a, quite, a, quite a bit to talk about. But I, I want to ask you, my last question about this particular segment is um, you've given us a lot of information in the first part of who's Amy? <laughs> Couching Amy, right? Like chasing Amy. Is that right. a thing? Yeah. Chasing Amy. Yes. Movie. Couching yeah. Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're literally sitting on a couch for anybody who cares to listen right now. We're on a couch right now, but like, what did you, you've been at therapy, so, you know, you probably have a better answer than most. What did you learn about yourself from then, from like looking back, obviously looking back hindsight is twenty twenty, right? right? Looking back, what did you learn about yourself and how did that inform what would happen to you and for with you for the next several years in therapy in therapy and just about just in life right 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 so, so it took a while yeah. um because in order to get to part two i need to tell you that once i broke up with my girlfriend i went back in the closet mm. for 10 years okay so it took a lot to and there's been a lot of therapy right. and whatever but i think the biggest lesson that i had to learn was um to let go of my need for approval from my parents and for unconditional love from my parents because they aren't capable of giving it. So here's a so here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, I'm listening to you. I've I've gone through this journey with you, right? Mm-hmm. At least in in speech over the last however long we've been recording. Um, and it's a difficult thing to hear because my mom, I know, and my dad, I know, <laughs> love right. me unconditionally. Right. And so it's it's such a hard thing to hear that there are people and they're ultimately parents are just people. Right. Right. But there are people out there who are parents who don't love unconditionally. Right. I mean, I think. You know what I'm saying? Like I guess in my, in my best place, I would say that they probably do still love me somewhere in there but they can't embrace that love they can't allow that love to Mm. be because i don't fit their conditions Mm. so i'm not sure that i would like i don't think that they wouldn't be sad if i died right right i think they would and i think right but they don't allow me in their life uh, lives unconditionally they don't they would never come to a wedding they don't. They don't allow your full self no. and who you are as your full-on Amy Couch with no. all of your faults and foibles, mm-hmm. all of your wonderful triumphs. They no. they can't allow all of that. No, because when Teresa and I broke up, I moved to a different city, and I called my dad because again I was still sure. You know, I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know I'm moving, and I want to give you my new address." And he said, "Is she moving with you?" And I said, no, she's not. It's just me. Mm. They came up for a visit two weeks later. Wow. So they came. 
because I wasn't with her anymore. Mm. Right. So, I mean, my therapist had a party with that one. Right. As soon as you are not doing the thing that we don't want you to do, we give you all of our love back. Love such as it is. Even though you are still the same person, it's just that your behavior had changed only because we have only because of this (laughs) the circumstance. The circumstances changed. So, um, rounding out this episode, what is one thing that you would like to tell other lesbian slash queer people who are growing up in? uh, I mean, obviously the age is different, but a lot of times that a lot of it has not changed what would you like to tell those people and then we'll move on to part two of the episode Um, i know it's hard (laughs) obviously to sum up i mean i think for for people who are queer in super religious families wherever they are um you're not alone and there are a lot of people in that same situation um, move to a city. <laughs> oh, okay. So I mean, you think that being think out it, in Arkansas was a part I, of it? It was, it was very isolating. Okay. Um, and I think, but, but reach out, you know, it's now that the internet is there, there's so many opportunities to find your community. Um, you know, one of the things that has been really, this is a very Christian way to say weighing heavy on my heart lately has been all of the, the, just the whole situation around transgendered folk. And growing up transgendered in the South or the Midwest is terrifying, right? So, so in, in many ways, I feel like the transgendered people now are in the same place that we were in back in the 80s and 90s. People were being killed for being gay, right? And now they're being killed for being transgendered. So I think, um, you know, find your community, reach out. You are never alone. There is always somebody who knows what you're going through, who's been there, who is there. There are pastors, um, maybe not in your particular faith, but maybe in your, um, you know, maybe a Christian pastor in in an Episcopal church or a Presbyterian church that will understand where you're coming from, but also understands who you are. Um, But don't lose faith and just keep trying to find that person. It's an interesting thing. Don't lose faith. Yeah. (laughs) And people. Don't lose faith in humanity. Mm. Right? Yes. Okay. So thank you, Amy, for uh, at least part one of the episode. I know we uh, ran quite a bit over time. We'll (laughs) probably wind up editing this quite a bit. But this has been uh, part one of um, So Here's the Thing with Amy Couch. And we will pick up with part two um, soon. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you.